0: The following podcast is brought to you by Pathways Church. For more information, visit www.pathwayschurch.us. Thanks for joining us for this message from our weekend service. Every week we're hearing stories about how God is moving in people's lives. So if you have a story to share, email us at info@pathwayschurch.us. We'd love to hear from you about how God is working in your life. Well, good morning, Pathways Church. Great to be with you. It's chillier now. Than last time I was here. And so uh, last uh, Friday night, I flew in yesterday. I told my wife, I was like, I got to go to the store. And she's like, why? I said, I got to get something. So I go to the store. I come home and I got a clothing bag with me. She's like, what'd you get? I said, honey, I'm going to Wisconsin. Okay. I don't have clothes for Wisconsin. I got to go get something that's warmer, but it's great to be back with you. Um, if I haven't met you or you don't know who I am, my name is John Parrott and I uh, serve as a pastor in Orlando, Florida. And just, uh, I think this is my third time Uh, back with you guys. So I so enjoy coming here and thank you for the welcome. And yeah, it's great. It's great. Well, a monk joined a monastery and took a vow of silence. After the first 10 years of his vow of silence, his superior called him in and asked him, do you have anything to say? The monk replied, the food is bad. After another 10 years of a vow of silence, The monk again had the opportunity to voice his thoughts, and he said this, The bed is hard. Another ten years went by, and again he was called in before his superior. When asked if he had anything to say, he responded, I quit. The superior says, It didn't surprise me that you've quit. You've done nothing but complain ever since you've been here. We're currently in a series, you're currently in a series about gratitude and how appropriate it is this time of year, Thanksgiving time of year, November, to be reminded of a heart of gratitude. And so I've entitled this message, God is Big on Thanksgiving. So each Thanksgiving, my family comes together, I've got four kids, I've got three grandkids now, my parents live in Orlando, all of our family, all of our kids, and so Thanksgiving is a big deal. It's a big turnout at our house, but we have this tradition. Maybe you have this tradition that as we sit around the Thanksgiving table, the Thanksgiving meal, we go around and each person has to share something they're thankful for. Anybody else do that? Okay. All right. Well, I was sent recently by one of my kids this video that's gone viral because our youngest son, Jacob, he's 17 now. He's the youngest of the family. Every time he gives something, uh, gives a report on Thanksgiving or he shares something about appreciation, he cries. He's overcome by just gratitude. And so they sent us this video and said, this is our brother. This is your son, Jacob. The video I want to show you is a young boy. It looks like they're around a Thanksgiving table giving thanks for all the blessings of his life. Take a look. Sometimes I just need to think deep down in my heart that, you know, I'm praying that I can be grateful for everything I have. And sometimes... So tired. When I read a book, I just think what they're going through, and I'm so grateful for everything I have. So. can you hear the sincerity? He's overcome with gratitude. He's overcome with the blessings of his life, oh, from the mouth of babes. Overcome. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment, you're around your Thanksgiving table, and instead of going around and sharing one thing you're thankful for, you said, I want everyone to go around, and I want everybody to complain about one thing. Imagine what it would do to the environment Complaining the turkey's cold, why are we eating at this god-awful time? Why is this person here? I thought we weren't inviting them anymore. I don't even like Thanksgiving. Imagine what it would do to the environment. Like you'd get down and you'd be like, turkey, anybody, anyone want turkey? No, okay, okay, it would kill the mood. The sad reality is although we may not do this at Thanksgiving, most people spend the majority of their day complaining complaining. And a lot of times, we even do this around the meal time, not recognizing or realizing what complaining is doing to our minds, what it's doing to our hearts, what it's doing to our soul, what it's doing to the relationships of those around us. The definition of complaining is simply this. It's a verbal expression of one's dissatisfaction with circumstances. It's a verbal expression of one's dissatisfaction with circumstances. Now, let me say this before I get into this. Today's message, I am preaching to the mirror because I complain, and I'm going to be vulnerable with you and transparent with you because no one gets more out of the message than the messenger. So I'm just sharing with you what God has taught me and what God has convicted me because I'm sure nobody in Wisconsin complains, okay? So this, this, this message may mean nothing for you. Okay, so a few months ago, I'm in a Starbucks drive through, and I never go through the drive through typically. Why? Because I can't control the drive through. I can't control what's in front of me. I can't control what's behind me. And then they put these things, these, these barricades, into where I can't even get out of the drive through if I wanted to. I've got control issues. Okay, but I'm in this drive through. I thought I'd give them a chance. And the person in front of me must have been ordering for 12 or 15 different people. you been there? Some of you have done this, and I would say, in you love, go inside. Go inside, okay? But they're ordering, and it's taking forever, and I am visibly upset. I am so upset, visibly, that others are beginning to take notice, especially the car in front of me, and I'm complaining. I'm complaining so much that as I pull up to the drive-through, the window open, and I can hear the barista say this, this guy's losing his mind. So then I was kind of convicted, and then they said this, the car in front of you has paid for you. So I complain now in every drive through that I'm in. <laughs> I'm not going to rob the blessing, all right? But we all know what it's like to be dissatisfied with our circumstances. We can be dissatisfied with where we work. We can be dissatisfied with where we live, We can be dissatisfied with where we are in life. We can be dissatisfied with our financial situation. We can be dissatisfied because we got passed over on a promotion and someone else got. We can be dissatisfied with our relationships. We can be dissatisfied with our parents. We can be dissatisfied with our kids. We all know what it feels like to be dissatisfied, and I'm sure all of us at some point in our lives, maybe even today, we've complained about something. So what drives complaining? Let me give you a few things that I recognize in me that drives me to complain. Number one, comparison. Teddy Roosevelt said this, comparison is the thief of joy. You ever had this? You're going through something, you're feeling really good about it, and then you go on social media and see someone else having a bigger, better time. What do you do? You complain. How do they get the money to do that? How do they get the time away to do that? Right? And what does it do? It robs your joy. And it leads us to complaining. Comparison is a thief of joy, and we complain about it. Number two, blaming others. This is a victim mentality where we hold everyone else responsible for our circumstances. We blame them. We blame our parents. We blame our bosses. We blame our church. We blame our friend group. We blame our football team, okay? For the way that we are made to feel. And we complain because we blame others. We complain when there's change. Most people don't like change, especially when change comes our way on behalf, on behalf of someone else. Someone else is making a change that's affecting us. Let me prove my point. How many of you have been coming here for a little while, sit in the same seat or the same area every time you come? Point made. Why? Because you hate change. And if someone sat in your seat or area, you'd complain about it, Right? We don't like change, I don't like change, especially when someone else is is bringing change my way and I don't have a say in the matter. We can complain when there's fear of the unknown or we're worried, we can complain. We can complain when the obstacles seem too big, but let me just say this and I say this in love, complaining as an adult is indicative of immaturity. When we constantly complain as adults, it's because we are stuck in a state of adolescence. As children, children complain all the time. Parents, kids complain, amen? Yes, I got four. I know they complain. I don't like that. I don't like that. Why are we here? This is boring. We complain, okay? But as we move into adulthood, if we find ourselves still in this state of complaining all the time, it's because something, I'm talk about this a little bit, there's still something wounded and broken in us and it's taking us back to our adolescent years. There's a disappointment that's coming out and it's being triggered by the things that are happening around us. But Jesus wants to heal that, we're gonna talk about that. Now, let me just say this. I'm not calling out all complaining as being bad. I'm not speaking of complaining about injustice, wrongdoing, complaining about in order to protect, to bring awareness, maybe a child complaining that he doesn't see his father or mother enough. What I'm speaking here, and this is what I'm gonna focus on, is a spirit of complaint, or a complaining spirit. It's something that's manifested in us that lives in us daily in all of our circumstances. See, God is aware of what complaining can do to our lives. He's aware of what complaining can do to the lives of those around us, and it's why Scripture clearly shows that God takes a complaining spirit seriously. To prove my point, come with me to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Let me give you some quick context God has been with his people in the wilderness. He brings them out of Egypt, out of bondage and slavery for 400 years. He brings them to the wilderness. And for 40 years, his people are led by God's redeemer of that time, Moses. And all throughout that time, God has said to them, I have a promised land for you, a land that I'm bringing to you, a land that's yours, a land flowing with milk and honey, where you'll live and reflect and represent me to the world around you, this promised land, okay? Okay. Well, we're about the 40-year mark, and they are on the edge of the promised land, and they can see off in the distance this land that God's promised them. There's a problem, though. There's a people already occupying the land known as the Amorites, and these people are fierce. But God has promised his people this land and that they would have victory over the Amorites. But God's people are still, they're not convinced, so they come up with kind of an alternative plan, kind of a backup plan. They say this to Moses, let us send some people in to scout out the land. And Moses thinks, okay, that's not a bad idea. So what he does is he appoints 12 spies. There's 12 tribes, so he appoints one spy from each tribe to go into the land on a scouting mission and to bring back a report. Well, they bring back a report. Wow, the land is as God has told us. There's, it's, it's beautiful and bountiful, but there's a problem. The Amorites are there, and they're big, and they're intimidating, and they're tall. And this is where we pick up the story, Deuteronomy 1. Moses says this, you grumbled. It translates as complained, in your tents and said this, the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. They say the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. I have no idea who they are. But then I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the wilderness. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place for 40 years. Verse 32, but in spite of this, in spite of all that God had done, you did not trust in the Lord. Israel is dissatisfied with their circumstances. So they are complaining to God. They are grumbling in their tents. They're throwing a pity party. How does God respond? A complaining spirit is sin that angers God. Verse 34, when the Lord heard your complaining, he became very angry. God is big on thanksgiving. He's down on a complaining spirit. So why? Why is God angered by a complaining spirit? I'm gonna walk you through three things. Number one, it reflects a loss of perspective. It reflects a loss of perspective, meaning this, when we complain in the midst of our circumstances, it reflects that we have lost perspective on who God is ultimately and what we mean and who we are to God. The Israelites said this in 27, the Lord hates us. So he has brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us. Now, if you know Israel's story, you'd have to step back and say, okay, wait a minute, Israel, and it's easier to look at someone else's story than to look at ours, all right? So we'll just pick on Israel. You think that God hates you? Even though he went to great lengths to do what he did, after 400 years, he sends a redeemer, he sends Moses to Pharaoh to deliver your people, to deliver us out from underneath the bondage and the tyranny of Pharaoh. He performed miracle after miracle to try to change Pharaoh's hearts. He spared our children as the the death spirit came over all of the the children of the land. This is what we know as the Passover, know as the Passover. The parting of the Red Sea, remember that? Providing food and water. It even says this, that throughout their time in the wilderness, he kept their ankles from swelling and bones breaking. Some of us can't even walk down the stairs of our own home without having a swole ankle, okay? This is how much God and his providence cared for his people for 40 years. So you would say, only now, Israel, you believe that God did all of that only now to leave you high and dry and to turn you over to your enemies? And we have to step back and be like, really, Israel? Israel? See, I shared with you a couple messages ago, a couple times I was here ago, that when we come into the midst of of trials and circumstances that are difficult, perspective is everything. Perspective is everything. This is what Israel had lost. You see, we can complain because rose bushes have thorns, or we can rejoice because thorns have roses. It's all about our perspective. And some of you are here today, and I can relate to you. As I said, I'm giving a message from my own journey. Some of you are here today, and your perspective is this that God hates you. That God has abandoned you. That He doesn't love you. That He's made all these promises to you, and all these pastors have stood before you only to bring you to this place of promise, this place of land, only to turn you over now to your enemies so that you can be killed and destroyed. And so, what happens as a result? We begin to complain. And really, that's rooted in fear. We're going to talk about that in a moment. We begin to complain. And why this angers God, because God would say, really? I mean, this is why God tells us time and time again in Scripture, remember, remember, remember. Because when we come upon difficulties and tough circumstances in our life, just like the fish dory, we have short-term memory loss. And we lose. We lose our memory. We lose what God has done. We forget what God has done, and our perspective shifts, and that's how the enemy tries to work in us. So why does it anger God? One, it's a loss of perspective. Number two, it reflects dissatisfaction with God's care. A complaining spirit reflects dissatisfaction with God's care. Read the verse again. Then I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the wilderness there you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son. All the way you went until you reached this place. Complaining reveals a dissatisfaction of God's care for us. This is true of life, and many of you can testify to this. Times of wilderness are a reality of life. If you've lived long enough, you've come to know that truth. Moreover, than that is a reality that comes that wilderness times are a part of following Jesus. So I went to Israel in 2016. Some of you I uh, know have been to Israel, I've talked to you about it. In the first 7 days in Israel, we walked through the wilderness. We walked through the desert. This is the area, the land that Israel would have wandered in for 40 years. Now you can see that, and as you look at that, it's it's pretty amazing the fact that no one's ankles swelled or broke. Look at that terrain. I mean, we had people who fell down who got wounded on our trip, and we spent seven days there. Last picture I want to show you is this. When David talks about streams of living water and green pastures, these are the green pastures. Some of you thought green pastures look like Lambeau Field. No. This is the green pastures. And the reason why our guide took us there for seven days is to teach us something. See, 80% of the promised land is wilderness, it's wilderness. Why? Because wilderness is where God works in our story. It's in times of wilderness that we learn that God promises to be enough. See, I have found in my life that God may not give me everything I want, but God has always provided everything I need. God has always provided everything I need. And it's in the times of wilderness that God is trying to produce something greater in us. He's trying to mature us. in the times of wilderness that God is disciplining us. And to not discipline us would not be loving. Those of you who, have, who are parents understand this, to not discipline your children would be unloving to them. And God was trying to work in Israel's heart for these 40 years and he was trying to discipline them because he was trying to produce something greater in them because they were called to reflect and represent God and his way of life to the world. It's in times of wilderness that God humbles us. We get over ourselves. It's in times of wilderness that God is bringing us to a greater place of dependency and reliance and faith in Him. Because in the times of wilderness, just like you saw there, it's scarce. But God promises this God promises to be enough. God promises to be enough. And what Israel had forgotten was in this time, they became dissatisfied with God's care for them because they wanted more. But God's saying, no, I know what you need. And that's why he became angry because he's cared for them for 40 years all along the way. But in times of wilderness, God promises to be enough. But the wilderness is part of our journey with God because he's producing something in the wilderness that would not happen otherwise. Number three, it it reflects a lack of faith. When we have a complaining spirit, again, we're talking about a complaining spirit, it reflects a lack of faith. Verse 32, in spite of this, you did not trust faith in the Lord your God. The writer of Hebrews writes this, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Israel had forgotten all that God had done for them. And as a result, they stepped into a platform of fear. Faith is the opposite of fear. Fear is the opposite of faith. And this is what happens when we come to a place of of our circumstances where they feel scary, where we worry. This is what's happening. Fear and anxiety exist when we see our circumstances without God. Think about the times in your life where you've been anxious, you've been worried, you've been fearful. And if you're honest with yourself, think back. Did you see God in the midst of that, or did you feel alone? Chances are good that you felt alone. God was not in the circumstances, which is what led you to fear, worry, and anxiety. We complain because we're fearful. We complain because we're anxious. Why? Because we don't see God in the midst of the circumstance. This is where fear takes over. And what God is saying to Israel is, look at all the times I have shown myself. I have been present in the midst of your insurmountable circumstances. I have been faithful before. I'll be faithful again. I am the same God yesterday, today, and forever. Have faith. Have faith. And what's happening when we're going through these circumstances is our heart, if we're not careful, becomes hard. Our heart becomes hard because we're afraid. Our heart becomes hard because we're anxious. Our heart becomes hard because we're worried. And it's what's evidenced of that is if you find yourself in a worship setting and you can't worship, where you have a difficult time sitting underneath the teaching of God's word, when it's hard for you to pray, when it's hard for you to talk about God, that is indicative of a hard heart. And that heart is hard because you're hurt, because you're wounded. Because you're afraid, because you're anxious. A lot of times as men, we put on this poser that we've got it. You don't have it. You're putting it on because you feel like you've got to carry it around, and all that's doing is wounding you more. It's causing you to complain more about your circumstances, situations. Why? Because you're wounded and hurt, and you haven't dealt with that pain. Why? Because a lot of times we're afraid to. What would people think? What would my wife think? What my kids think? If I really became vulnerable and really got to the root of why I complain all the time, it's because I'm hurt, I'm wounded, I'm mad, I'm bitter, I'm angry, and I'm broken. And Pathways, until we can come to that place and let Jesus heal that place, we are gonna walk around, yes, we're redeemed in Christ, but we're gonna walk around as broken people, and that's not what Jesus came to give his life for. Jesus did not come just to save the soul of us, he came to save the whole of us. Do you know how long it should have taken Israel to get through the wilderness? 11 days. You know how long they spent there? 40 years. How long do you want to stay in the wilderness? Wilderness is a a reality of our life. And God puts us there to teach us something. I've already talked about that. But it's our choice to determine how long we wanna stay there. And if you're here today, and I say this in love, if you're here today and you continue to find your place in a wilderness, find yourself in a wilderness, might it be because you have a complaining spirit, you have a loss of perspective, you have a dissatisfaction of God's care over your life, and you're living in fear. God is going to keep us in the wilderness until he has taught us until we have learned the lesson that he has for us in the wilderness. May it not take 40 years. But God is patient. And he loves us too much to yank us out of something that he's trying to produce in us. So how do we conquer a complaining spirit? I'll give you this and I'm done. We must first understand this. A complaining spirit is not about our circumstances. A complaining spirit is about our hearts. See, God was after Israel's heart. And the problem was they kept giving their heart away to idolatry. They kept giving their heart away to fear. And the condition of our heart dictates our attitude. It dictates our behavior. Therefore, to conquer a complaining spirit, we must have a change of heart. So let me give you four ways we can practically change our heart beginning today. Number one, it begins with confessing and repenting, recognizing that a complaining spirit is a sin. Why? Because it's a lack of perspective. It's dissatisfaction with God's care. It's a lack of faith. So God, I recognize right now that that I have a spirit of complaint. And Lord, I confess that to you. I trust that you're faithful to forgive. Your grace and your mercy cover all that but I also repent. See, you can have confession without repentance, but you can't have repentance without confession. We're to confess and repent, which means, Lord, I choose to turn from this spirit of complaint. I choose to take captive these thoughts and make them obedient to Christ. I don't want to live this way. I'm tired of living this way, so I confess and I repent. Lord, come and change my heart. And what happens is, and those of you who've done this, you know what I'm talking about. When we find ourselves stuck in sin, when we confess it, we bring it into the light. Sin lives in secret. Sin lives in darkness. You wanna overcome sin and bring it into the light because death, because light and darkness can't occupy the same space. So bring it into the light. And what happens is, as you confess it and you repent. Your heart begins to soften. Why? Because you're receiving God's forgiveness and grace and there's no more shame. There's no more feeling of condemnation. And your heart begins to soften. Number two, choose contentment over discontentment. You and I have the power of choice. We have the power of free will. Why? Because you can't have love without the power of the will. All right, so God's not gonna force himself on us. So our response is our responsibility. So we have a choice. Every situation we walk into, we have a choice of how we're going to enter into that situation, how we're gonna process that situation. And to choose contentment, over discontentment. How many of you are familiar with the verse, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength? Okay, most of us. We have it on T-shirts, we have it on bumper stickers. You may even have it up on the wall of your home. Do you know the context of that verse? I'll read it for you. The Apostle Paul is writing this in prison. He writes these words. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or or in want, because here we go, because I can do all of this who gives me strength. What's the context? Contentment. Now, does God give you the strength to do the things He's called you to do? Yes. But it's in its original context that Paul is saying this I know what it's like to be fed, and I know what it's like to be hungry. I know what it's like to have much, and I know what it's like to have little. However, how I navigate that and how I find contentment in that is not in my circumstances. It's not in buying more so that I can feel better. It's not in inquiring more. It's not in medicating. It's not in my own strength. The only way that I can find contentment despite my circumstances is in the power of Christ. It's in the power of Christ that I have the strength and the perspective to move through life and be grateful and have a heart of gratitude despite my circumstances because it's only in Christ that I can ever have the strength to be able to do that. And that's the context of this verse. Give you something practical to do. Create a gratitude list. And every time you find yourself complaining, I want you to do this, count a blessing. And I promise you, I guarantee you that you will be able to count far more blessings than you will about complaining. I'll give you a few to start. It's a blessing that you can gather here today and worship God in freedom. Look at what's happening in other parts of the world. You're not fearing for your life today. It's a blessing that you can sit in a comfortable chair. It's a blessing that you have clothes on your back. It's a blessing that you had a means of transportation to get here today. It's a blessing that probably all of you are gonna leave here. As soon as I get done talking, you'll go get some food and watch football. It's a blessing that you have loved ones who sit beside you and families sit beside you. It's a blessing that you have young children. But how ungrateful, and I'll speak from help can I become so easily? It's only when I step back and I, get a, I gain a fresh perspective. God, you are so good. You are so good. I am so undeserved of everything that you provided to me. And scripture says that every good and perfect gift comes from a good, 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 great father who loves you who is not leading you to the edge of a promised land because he hates you and he wants you to walk into the hands of the enemy. No, he's calling you to greater depths of faith and trust and belief in him because he's wanting to produce something greater and deeper within you. He wants you to mature. He wants you to recognize the goodness of who he is and live into the fruit of the life that Jesus came to give you and I, the abundant life. He is good, so every time you begin to complain as you walk out of here, or maybe you're complaining right now, because I'm giving this message, count a blessing. Create a gratitude list on your phone. Like every time, Lord, no, I, I, I'm grateful for this. I, I count this blessing. I count this blessing. I count this blessing, and watch what this begins to do to your heart. And you may find yourself weeping like that little kid in that Thanksgiving dinner, as we should. God, you're so good. You're so good. Gratitude is complaining's kryptonite. Gratitude is complaining's kryptonite. Number three, choose faith over fear. I'm going long, I'll wrap it up. Choose faith over fear. There's times in your life where you're gonna say, I have to pray this prayer. Help me to believe even in my times of unbelief. Fear says I got it because God doesn't. Faith says this, God's got it because I don't. And you can choose which platform you're gonna stand on each and every day. Give it over to God. Trust God. Take him at his word. The last one is this. Choose relationship over circumstance. Choose relationship over circumstance. We are created as relational beings. And what we need to do when we experience times of complaining, especially when we see ourselves having a complaining spirit, as I said earlier, it's because we're wounded. And this goes back, and I'm gonna get a little psychological here, but we are emotional beings as well as spiritual beings, okay? And what this does, this is going back to times of adolescence in our lives where we felt abandoned, maybe abused, neglected, rejected. And what happens is when we don't deal with that stuff in our story, the big trauma or the little trauma of our story, we bring that into adulthood. And what happens is when the circumstances of life happen, the things we have not dealt with get triggered, and how do we respond? We complain, but really we're complaining because we're broken, we're angry, we're bitter, and we're wounded, and we're dying on the inside. And what Jesus says is this, I came to set you free. And the only one who can heal that in your life, it's not your spouse, it's not your job, it's not your children, it's not your pastor, the only one who can heal that in your life is Jesus, Jesus. Jesus. And so this is what I want to encourage you to do, and I I ask for grace here just for a few extra minutes because this is so important. And someone come up to me after the first service and said, I've never heard this stuff before, and I'm a psychologist. Recognize a place in your life where you have been hurt, where you have been wounded, that you see as being the root of what's driving your behavior. And I want you to get alone. I want you to get with Jesus. And I want you to move from the circumstance to the relationship. And I want you to bring that memory up and ask Jesus this question, where were you? Where were you? Because this is what I can promise you. And this is work I have done. My wife leads this inner healing work in our ministry back home. Jesus was there. And the healing begins when you can see Jesus in the midst of that moment because he was there. He was there. And in that and with that, you process that with Jesus. You process that with Jesus, that hurt, that wound. You ask him to come and to heal that in you because he's the only one who can. And whatever that hurt is, whatever that wound is, this is what you do. You give it over and over and over and over until it's over. And you'll know it's over when you wake up in the morning and it's not the first thing you think about. You'll know it's over. And Jesus is working in your wilderness. He's healing you. He's producing something greater in you. And then he's gonna call you out of that wilderness eventually to something more because God always calls his people from the wilderness to something greater that he has for them, but he's preparing them in the wilderness. So enter in. Enter in, walk away from the circumstance and face Jesus and enter into relationship. And this is why Stephen ministry, and I didn't know this was happening today, is so essential. Because you're walking through these hard things in life, what you need to do is you need to turn a relationship, Jesus, but also the relationship of others. And Stephen ministers come in and they help you process the pain, process the hurt. Get to the root, because you have to get to the root and you have to uproot the root of why your actions are what they are. And that's what they're there to do. So reach out to them. If you want two great resources, I'll give you this. Soul Care It's a phenomenal book and changes that heal. If you've never read those books, they're Christian authors who write about how we can find wholeness and forgiveness and identity that's only found in Christ. And you and I can be liberated fully in wholeness, Because of Jesus. God is big on Thanksgiving. And one of the great reasons why God is big on Thanksgiving is because one of the greatest things, if not the greatest thing, the greatest thing God ever did for us is what we could not do for ourselves by sending Jesus to come to be our Lord and Savior. And if you're here today and you're saying to yourself, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, I need healing, I need wholeness. And I say to you this, Jesus went to great lengths to bring it to you today. So if that's you today, I wanna ask us all to close our eyes. You can just pray this prayer inside, the sincerity of your heart. Lord Jesus, I admit to you that I'm a sinner. And I acknowledge that you are the savior of the world who came to redeem and to save my life, to heal the brokenness of my life, to restore a relationship with you I ask that you come and you forgive me of my sin. I ask that you come and you lead me to wholeness. And I accept you now, today, as my Lord and Savior. And God, I give you thanks. And may may my heart overflow with gratitude for all that you have done for me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you, Pathways.